Fellowship family, I'm so glad that you've come to worship this morning. I'm Jimmy Cook. I'm one of the worship leaders here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And I don't know what you've been seeking satisfaction in. We all, we all seek satisfaction in different things. Maybe you've been seeking satisfaction this week in uh, success, or you've been seeking satisfaction in what other people say about you, or you've been seeking satisfaction in wealth, or you've been seeking satisfaction in pleasure. But this morning we have an opportunity, we gather every Sunday and we have an opportunity to realign our hearts and find true satisfaction. So this is the invitation from Isaiah 55. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good. You will delight in the richest of fare. This morning we have an opportunity to find satisfaction and delight and hope and joy in Jesus Christ, to realign our hearts to him. So I want to invite you now to stand, if you're able, and let's sing to Jesus Christ.
Well, good morning, church family. You can have a seat. Uh, my name is Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors uh, this morning. Uh, Sean Schwartzman, come on up here. Um, we're super excited. If you're new with us, we wanted to introduce you to a, a partner ministry here in Fayetteville. As we look at um, Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, we're going to see the implications of the good news of Jesus expressed as Jew and Gentile coming together. And as God desires unity in his church and the greater church in our community and here in Fayetteville, we wanted to celebrate that through the work of Potter's House. And so, Sean Schwartzman, you and Anita lead out on that initiative. Tell us a little bit about that and bring us into what it's like to be a part of the experience. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having us here. The mission of Potter's House is to love Jesus and bring a community together. Potter's House has been in existence for about 25 years. Uh, this, is, this is year 25. This verse is a verse that we've held on to from the beginning in 1 Thessalonians. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. We love the community of Northwest Arkansas, the broad, diverse community, and we think that we're separated and we're divided and we're trying to bring the community together. Quick survey. I'm going to go through five quick questions. Just kind of keep a tab in your mind. We'll do these real quick. Do you know someone personally that's in jail right now or has been in the past year? Just kind of log that in your mind. Do you know the name, the first name of someone in your area you'd love to get to know better, but they don't speak English? Okay, next one. Within the past year, someone of a different race was in my house for a meal. I know someone who struggled to find affordable housing in Northwest Arkansas in the past year. I know someone that has had their utilities shut off in the past six months. We as a people just tend to be around people that are similar to us, like us, grew up like us. And so what Potter's House does is brings the broad community together. And how we do it, here's just a couple ways. We have thrift stores in Springdale, Siloam, and Fayetteville, where we hire, uh, we have a little bit over 100 employees. Um, we take your old couches and clothes and roll that. We've got a preschool. It's an unbelievable place to draw together people. We've got small groups, kindergarten through 12th grade. There's also a leadership program with this. And then there's an adult program that is bringing together adults through book studies and Bible studies and, and all different ways that we can pull together a diverse community. So we really love this area, fellowship. You guys are unbelievable. You're some of the infancy stages of Potter's House and have been there all along. So Thank you for who you are and what you do, and thanks for having us this morning. Well, Sean, uh, both he and Anita will be available um, back here in the booth as you go out to your right. And uh, hey, as a church family, we want to pray for them and their mission. And so if you can, take your left or right hand out, put it out, and we're going to pray over um, Sean and Anita in Potter's house. Father, thank you for the work of your son Jesus on our behalf to make us right with you. Thank you that that implication also makes us right with one another inside the church God, I pray that um, we would, um, that you would grant us uh, the grace and the courage to take the initiative to cross uh, socioeconomic demographic lines, ethnic lines. God, I pray that you would uh, bring unity uh, to the greater church in Northwest Arkansas. And God, I pray that you would give uh, the Schwartzmans uh, incredible wisdom and discernment as they lead out in Potter's house, and uh, that you would 
uh, be the one who gets all the glory. God, I pray that um, those that don't know you um, through this initiative would come into a loving relationship with you as well. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Would you stand with us as we sing? There is one gospel.
Church, it's good for us to agree with God about what he says about us and who we are, what he says about who he is. It's good for us to confess that we have not loved him as we ought. So let's make this confession together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. Now, we know, as we're studying Ephesians, we know this is true. And if we are in Christ, we are confident that we are forgiven. So let's pray this assurance with confidence. Church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You guys can take a seat. This is a new song we're going to sing over you. It's a song that we wrote for the Ephesians series. Uh, as you listen to the song, just take it in. Uh, you also have the opportunity to participate in worship through giving at this time. Just listen to the song, take it in, uh, and reflect it back to God. If you, if you catch on, you're welcome to sing with us, but we're going to sing this over you.
Y'all may have a seat. That language right there is spoken uh, in Africa by estimated 59 million people and in 16 different countries, and it's one of the most unreached areas uh, of the world. Hey, welcome here. So excited to be with y'all. How many of y'all, my name is Brian, by the way, how many of y'all have heard me teach in some form or fashion here at Fellowship? Let's see, raise hands. Okay, very good, very good. Well, I just want you to know that you're probably going to experience one or two things. One is you might be experiencing deja vu, or two is you might think that I'm absolutely crazy. And the reason is is because it seems like I begin all my teachings that I do in here the same way. I begin with this verse right here. And the reason I do that is, is because I think this is one of the key verses in all the scripture. Matter of fact, I think it sets the tone and the plan of what God's trying to do in the world. 
And this happens, the context of this happens right after the Tower of Babel, right after humanity gathered together to rebel against God. And so God uh, dispersed them all across the world and he scrambled, gave them all different languages. But we also see, if you turn the page, you see God's grace and you see it here in his plan to redeem and reunite uh, the world. And it's God appearing to this guy and he says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred which is people like you, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This sets the tone and the plan for the rest of Scripture. And something that we all, a lot of times leave out when we're teaching this is the very next verse, the beginning, where it says, so Abram went as the Lord told him, that Abram obeyed. And so if you turn to the next chapter or, or the next book of the Bible, which is actually turning about a 1,000 years, you begin to see this plan unfold just as God uh, had said it. And so he, he gathers a group of people, the Hebrew people that were in slavery in Egypt, and he rescues them out of that slavery, and he begins to form them into the nation, just like he told Abraham that he was going to do. And he says this, he says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. He's talking to Moses here, and he says, this is what I'm going to do, that you are a treasured people. And I've got a special plan for you, that you're going to be a priest, you're going to be my servants, you're going to have a role, and you're going to be holy, you're going to be set apart, you're going to be different in the way that you live your lives. But what's strange and what we see happen throughout the rest of the Old Testament It seems like the the Hebrew people, which became known as the Jewish people, only read this part of the verse. And we see it through their actions and the hardening of their hearts and the way that they began to treat people who were not like them. And throughout the Old Testament, God tries to drop in these reminders and, and he tries to pull them back to his original plan. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. They're all throughout the Old Testament. One of my favorites is in Isaiah 49, 6. And he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. God is saying, I have a much bigger plan. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God is saying, this is my plan. This is what I want to see happen. And I want to use you to make it happen. But I think all they hear is this. Now you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. One historian noted about the Jews and their attitude during the time that Ephesians was written, that they had so, so much contempt for the Gentiles that they actually said that the reason that God created the Gentiles was to fuel the fires of hell. 
There was so much contempt for the Gentiles that if a Jewish boy or girl married a Gentile, that they would plan and put together and have a funeral for them because they were just saying, you are dead to us. You're dead to our community. And by the way, I'm not just here to, to pick on the, uh, the Jews. A Roman statesman, Cicero, wrote, as the Greeks say, all men are divided into two classes, Greeks and barbarians. See, they, the Jews weren't the only ones to have this attitude. And the Greeks are basically saying during that time, they're basically saying, hey, there's civilized people, there's educated people, and then there's dumb brutes, which is everybody else. We are the civilized, they are not. And then the Romans, who were the ruling empire of the time, they like to break up people into many different groups. Some people think that there's nine different classes that they have. We have like seven listed here. And basically, to summarize, you have the upper class and you have the lower class. The upper class is kind of the politicians and the wealthy. And if you're in the lower class, your role is basically to support them. Matter of fact, if you're a woman, you basically fell into whatever class your husband or family was, except yeah, you never had the right to run for office, you never had the right to vote, and you never had the right to own property. You see, the civilization at the time loved to put people into groups. And they loved to treat people well that were in their group. But they said, hey, we're not going to interact with that other group. Or we think lowly of that group of people. And those attitudes began to seep into the church as well. Kind of reminds me of the climate today, doesn't it? I, I fear we're beginning to see the same thing happen in this country and all over the world. A form of tribalism happening amongst people. And we like our people, but everybody else is wrong. And you see, that is the attitude that was prevalent during the time that Paul sat down and wrote Ephesians to the church because it saw, he saw it happening within the church. So he writes these words, and it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Now, for me, I think that this is best read with the attitude that Paul is laying on the sarcasm thick. Sometimes I think we try to pull personality and humor out of the scripture I think he's laying on the sarcasm thick. He says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. I think this is where air quotes come from. And he's pointing them out and he's saying, Ah, you know who you are, the uncircumcision. Now we're not gonna get into what uh, circumcision, uncircumcision is. If you don't know, you can turn and ask the person behind you. By what is called the circumcision. So Paul is saying, hey, already, there's two groups of people. There's the circumcised and the uncircumcised. 
The circumcised is making fun of the uncircumcised. And notice this. He says, by what is called the circumcision, the circumcision people. And then it's like he's whispering here. He says, hey, which, by the way, your circumcision, the thing that marks you as a follower of God, those were just made by hands of flesh. All right? Don't think of yourself too highly here. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's addressing the the former Gentile audience here, the non-Jewish person. If you look at this paragraph, it's it's formed exactly the same way uh, of the the paragraph that begins this chapter, what, what Michael taught on last week. And it's super similar. And what Michael said last week is it starts off with the bad news. It says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And then he just lists all the consequences because of that. And that's what Paul does here. Five things. Hey, Gentiles, you are without Christ. You've been excluded from the citizenship in Israel. You are foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You are without hope. You were without God in the world. Now, by the way, I do not believe that Paul is saying this is God's intention. I think what he was writing is how you are being treated by the Jews. And you understand this feeling. Almost like God is not on your side. But if you remember how Michael taught yesterday, There's one small word that has extreme power in Scripture. There's a word that means a giant change is coming. But, but, you were without hope. But, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hey, I want to pause right here and I want to tell you a story. It's a true story, but it's also an analogy. If you understand this story that I'm about to tell, you will understand this whole portion of Scripture. A little less than a year ago, I'm sitting on my couch and I get a text from my friend. I'm going to call him Lou. Lou's uh, Chinese. He moved over here became a follower of Christ, now works for Walmart. And he texts me and he says, Pope, what are you doing Tuesday night? Now, I hate that question, the way that it's framed, because it's like you're gambling, right? Because you're sitting there thinking, man, is he gonna ask me to do something I really wanna do? Or is he gonna ask me to do something that I have no interest? So I rolled the dice. And I said, I'm not doing anything Tuesday night. And he says, great. Would you like to go to University of Arkansas basketball game? And in my mind, I'm like, he asked me to do something I'd actually want to do. But I do love this guy. I love hanging out with him. And I said, man, I'd love to go with you. And then a few minutes later, he actually texted me back. And he said, he knows that I love um, being with international students. And I have a lot of international friends. And he can relate because he used to be one. He says, actually, how about I just send you the tickets and you invite an international to go with you? 
And I'm just like, oh man, the news is getting better. Yes, I love that. I knew exactly who I was gonna invite. There's a friend of mine named Karab, uh, who's from Kosovo. And so I texted him up and I said, hey, I got tickets to the game. You wanna go? And Karab loves basketball. Matter of fact, he probably knows a lot more about American basketball than I know. He's just a huge basketball fan. So we went and I got, I got the tickets sent to me on my phone. I just checked to make sure that I had the tickets. And went and picked up uh, Karab. And by the way, uh, if you recognize where this is, this is uh, at the University of Arkansas. It's very far away from Bud Walton, and that's because I refuse to pay for parking. And I don't care if I have to park in Egypt. I will park in Egypt, so I don't have to pay for parking. And so we're just enjoying our walk, uh, walk there. This is, um, this is Karab. And note, I want you to notice kind of what he's wearing. He's wearing a black hoodie, and he's wearing gray sweatpants. I know you don't have a picture of that, but that's what he's wearing, which is totally fine. Hey, we're going to a basketball game, right? And so we walk up to Bud Walton, and I pull out my phone, and we scan, and, you know, pull up the tickets. We scan, and we get in there, and it's like, okay, great. And then for the very first time as we walk in there, I start looking at the tickets, and I'm confused, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know where these seats are. And so we go up to an usher, which I normally don't do, and I say, hey, do you, do you know where we're sitting? And he looks at it, and he goes, I, I think you're on the other side of the stadium. And I was like, okay. And so Karab and I just walk, and we keep getting further away from that section. And I'm just like, man, I don't think that's right. So we go up to another usher, and I show him, and I was like, hey, do you know where these seats are? And he looks at it, and he's confused. And he goes, man, I think you're back on the other side. So we go back to the area that we came from, and then we go and we find a third usher who's standing in front of a door, and I hand it to her, and I say, hey, do you know where we're supposed to be sitting? And she looks at it, and she goes, man, I don't know. She goes, you need to go out there and find somebody who has a folder or a clipboard. Look for an usher as that. And I'm like, oh, man. So we go to the fourth, and I'm starting to think, man, is Lou playing a prank on me? What's going on here? And we finally find somebody who has this giant binder, and they, they look at my tickets, and they open it up, and they go, oh, yeah, I know where you are. Come, come follow me. And we go back to that place where a lady was standing outside the door, and they go, oh, you're in here. And it says Chancellor's Suite above it. And we're like, Rob and I just kind of look at each other. And we step in, and as soon as we, we step in, there's people that jump up and just greet us immediately and say, hey, welcome here. But you see that they have this confused look on their face because they have no idea who we are. And, and we're just standing there, and we're like, hey, we're, we're friends with Lou. He gave us a ticket, and he goes, oh, Lou, I love Lou, yes, hey, welcome here. Hey, we got this whole spread of food right here. Help, get, get, a, get as much as you want. Hey, here's the fridge. Get, get as many drinks as you want. Oh, by the way, we have ice cream in the freezer. Get this, and I don't know about you, but it's not my normal experience to go to a basketball game and get free anything, right? And this guy is saying, man, take, take whatever you want, and we're just having this great conversation, and then a few minutes uh, later, Lou shows up, and he walks in, and we're just all like, ah, ah, and we're just having this great fellowship. And then a little bit later, all of a sudden, this guy comes in, and he walks, and he comes by, and he meets, and he talks to each one of us individually, and then he leaves, and I was like, crop, who was that? 
goes, that was the chancellor of the U of A. I was like, whoa. This is incredible. And we barely watched any of the game because we're just in there. We're just fellowshipping with everybody. And I'll never forget, as we walked out, Karab looks at me, and he's wearing his hoodie and his sweatpants. And he goes, Pope, if I would have known, I would have never won this. Okay, if you understand that story, you understand this entire passage. Let me share it just a little bit different way. I was sitting on my couch one night, and somebody who loved me reached out and said, hey, I have a free gift for you. And all you've got to do is accept it. And hey, I want you to share this gift with somebody else. And I immediately knew somebody that I could share this with. And so I reached out to him and invited him to join me. And because I had this gift, I was given access to a place that I wasn't used to going. And because I had this gift that somebody gave him, because of his name and what he'd been given me, I was able to experience something that I've never experienced before. And because I had this gift and this access, I was able to join in with a feast of people that I normally don't get to be with. Because I had this gift and I had this access which somebody else gave me, I was able to meet and be with the most powerful person in that place. That is what Paul is trying to get across here. So let's continue. For he himself is our peace. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might be reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That Jesus is our peace, that we now can have this relationship not only with God, but this new type of relationship with others, and specifically people who are not like us. And there is so much depth in here. Uh, we could spend a whole day just breaking it down. But one thing I want to point out, it says the dividing wall of hostility. Now, I've taught on this before, is, is that you have over here a map of the temple. And the largest area in there is called the Court of the Gentiles, that the temple was supposed to be a welcoming place for all of the nations. As a matter of fact, when Solomon dedicated, he says, God, people are going to be coming from all over the world, and I pray that you'll answer their prayers so they will believe in you. Matter of fact, this is the place where we see Jesus get so mad in Scripture because the, the money changers, this is where they set up their tables. So the Gentiles didn't have a place to come and to pray. And so that's why he, he chased him out and he says, is it not said that my father's house should be a house of prayer for what? For all the nations. And the, the temple was divided into sections. And during one archaeology uh, event uncovering, they found these signs in 1871 and 1935 
that the Jews had placed on the temple wall, it says, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. I mean, this is so ridiculous. It's almost humorous if it wasn't so sad that the Jews were saying like, hey, you're probably gonna die. We're probably gonna be the ones that, that are gonna kill you, but you can't blame us. We warned you. And what Paul is saying is that dividing wall has been knocked down. Now, what he does here is he begins to address both groups. And I love what Paul does with his words. And he says, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He begins to talk to the Jews and the Gentiles in the group. For those who are far off and for those who think that they're near. Now, if you watched the game last night, you got to experience something that near is not good enough, correct? Right? We all felt it. It was so close. But it wasn't close enough. That's what the scripture is saying. Like, hey, Jews, you think you're in, but you're just near. And it's not close enough. So then, and I think he's talking to both groups. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Man, I love being visual. This is what Paul is saying is now happening. He's saying, boom, dividing wall. Gone. Because what Christ has done. And and I love what the commentator, what what one commentator said. We're just gonna tear down this wall. Boom, gone. Because what? Because what Christ has done. And this is what he's saying. He's saying the Jews thought that they were a special treasure. And they were. They were to God a special treasure. But they thought everybody else was just like a a brick made of dirt. Didn't think much of them. But Paul is saying here, hey, Jew, Gentile, You know what's happened? God's doing something new. And that through Christ, both of you are made into something new that has much higher value. That both of you now are gold. That both of you have been elevated. And God is creating something new of much higher value. So don't continue to live with these lower thoughts. And not only that, Christ is our cornerstone. 
And he's building something entirely new that God's Spirit's going to dwell. And who's he addressing in Ephesians? He's addressing a church. He's addressing this body of believers coming together and saying, man, the Spirit of God is there. And that's what we have in this room. A couple of weeks ago, we started doing something kind of new with our international students, is that we bring them together, invite them into a house for a dinner, and we let them know beforehand that we're not just going to eat dinner together, but we're also going to open scripture together and read it and discuss. And there we had people from 15 different nations the first night that was there from different countries, from different backgrounds, from different economic situations, and from even different beliefs. And I don't think I'll ever forget this moment because we, we gave them all Bibles, and for some of them, it was the first time to ever open up a Bible. And we all use the same Bibles because we can't even say, hey, open it up to Genesis chapter two because they have no reference for that. We have to say, hey, open it up to page six. Look for the large number two. and Look for the small number four. And so as I opened up the Bible, a wave of fear came over me. I forgot my reading glasses. And I look down and I go, oh my goodness, I can't read any of this. And I said to the group, I go, I apologize. I go, hey, can we just go around the room and each one of you take two verses and just read? And what happened next is I began to hear the word of God read with different dialects one country, then to another, then to another, then to another. And I just began to tear up. Like I literally just began to tear up. And I was telling this story to Dave Matthews uh, this week, and he asked me, he says, why do you think you teared up? And the answer is really just simple. It's, Because I think this is what God wants. I think this is what God, thousands of years ago, set out to do. That his desire is to see his salvation known among all the people groups of the world. And fellowship, I just want to encourage you that this is not something that's just a a neat idea or a great concept. But this is something that we have to work towards. Because remember in Genesis it says, Abraham heard this plan. And so he left. He obeyed. That Jesus, when he was pulling together his disciples, he says, go therefore make disciples of what? All the nations, ta ethne, all the ethnic groups out there. 
It's not something that just happens. It's something that we have to commit to. And Jesus says, if we do it, he is with us always during that whole process. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you have a big plan for us. Dear God, I thank you so much that your desire is that somebody from every tongue, tribe, and nation will one day be around the throne worshiping you. I thank you so much that you've torn down the dividing wall that all of us can have access, personal access to you, and that your spirit dwells in us. And I pray if anybody here has not made that decision, that even right now, that they will invite you in and say, God, I want to be a part of this new family, this thing that you're doing. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. God, continue to do that work in this church throughout Northwest Arkansas and throughout the world. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing to the King of Kings, the one who is putting his plan to work to bring all peoples before his throne.
First Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. so glad that Jesus Christ is our peace. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. So you can go this week in peace and you can be peacemakers because of what Jesus has done. 
If you would like someone to pray with you, if, like, if you just want someone to talk with you, on my left, on your right, you can go out through these doors and up the stairs. There are people who would love to pray with you, to talk with you. And uh, have a great week. You guys are dismissed.